do this. Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show uh, Part 2. Uh, I did Part 1 this morning on Instagram. Uh, my phone battery is low. Otherwise, I would have a uh, full confession. I would have done it on Instagram again. It's just so much easier to set things up on my phone uh, than to have my computer and my com camera hooked up. Uh, but this works as well. So we are picking up where we left off this morning. Uh, the two readings for today are Proverbs chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 6. Today is Saturday, March the 20th. And yeah, so we'll be reading those two passages, um, thinking about them for today. Uh, as you can see, I have my keyboard set up. Uh, I've been practicing for tomorrow. I'm leading uh, songs, uh, playing the keyboard for Chinese church in the afternoon. So um yeah, might do a stream on that. Um, but yeah, that's what I spent this afternoon doing. Uh, but now I'm going to read the Bible. Ooh, ringing in my ears. Uh, okay, all right. Um, uh, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we worship you. We give you all glory and honor that is due to your name. And we do this even as we read your word. Help us to praise you uh, as we respond to your word speaking to us in the Bible. Help us to give glory to you, especially uh, for Jesus, uh, his goodness, his beauty, and his radiance, uh, his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are picking up from Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen... Among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. 
All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Uh, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to shale going down to the chambers of death. And that's Proverbs chapter 7. Um, this father is warning his son, and later on he warns all his sons, but of the same thing, of this seductive um, allure of this promiscuous adulteress, um, this woman who is drawing his son into this intimate relationship that is illicit, that will destroy him in the end. And he says, um, you know, remember this, keep my commandments and live, he says, verse 2. This is something that if you remember, you will not fall into this trap and therefore you will live, you will not die. And he says this out of love, you know, out of concern, and as a warning, because these are real, real, real temptations that he anticipates his son will face. And right from the beginning, he says, you know, remember my commandments, keep my teaching, bind them on your fingers. So it's, it's a forewarning. You know, you, you teach this before you encounter the problem, not after. After, you know, it's kind of too late. But before before there is that temptation, before you come into the scenario, you say this uh, out of love and out of concern. He says, bind them on your fingers, meaning put it aside, remember them, and bear it in mind such that when you encounter that situation, my voice will almost ring in your ears. He says, verse 4, say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. So to keep you from this forbidden relationship, this forbidden woman, it's wisdom. You know, wisdom is here pictured as the sister, or more likely it's uh, the way of describing your wife as, you know, this sister, this wise woman, as your intimate friend. And here again is that overlay of relationship with wisdom, of marriage and faithfulness. Um, here, the two go hand in hand. You know, wisdom just says, you know that this is the right thing to do. That is just so foolish. And yet we are drawn to it because we are seduced into it because we forget the teaching that a father, that someone who is wise gives us in advance. We forget it. We put it aside. We meet that situation and then it's too late. So here he is, you know, the father speaking to his son. He's speaking from his own position, own reflection of wisdom. He says, verse 6, you know, from the window of my house. So he said he's seen this in the world. You know, he sees this happening again and again and again. What does he see? See, I looked out of my lattice and I've seen among the simple, among the foolish, in other words, I perceived among the youths this young man lacking sense this foolish young man you know just doesn't realize how foolish he is what does he do you know he passes along the street near her corner he takes the road to her house in the twilight in the evening in the time of night and darkness he's almost saying what are you doing there at this time of night you know you know that she lives there why are you passing so close by in proximity he says it's just 
mind-boggling. It's just so sad that they fall into this trap, but it's also their foolishness you know, in letting themselves fall into this trap. Verse 10, and behold, and suddenly, you know, he's there and then this woman meets him, verse 10, and dressed as a prostitute and wily of heart, she is. She is enticing and she's smart, you know, wily of heart. She's loud, wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, at every corner. She lies in wait. That means she's laying down this trap and she makes herself known she's loud. You can't, you can't miss her. And now um, she seizes him and she kisses him and with a bold face, she says to him, and this is a very, very public, very, very um, bold manner in which she's drawing this person to this illicit relationship. She says, I had to offer sacrifices. So interesting. It's always like, I went to church this morning <laughs> and now it's my turn to do this sin. You know, this, this is a person who's almost justifying this relationship. You know, I've paid my dues, paid my vows, and now I've come to meet you. He's, she says, verse 15, to seek you eagerly, I found you, and I've spread on my couch with coverings, colored linens with Egyptian linen, perfumed my bed and it, uh, with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. He says, come, let us take our fill of love. And she promises this picture. She paints a picture of what's ahead, her couch, she says, can you smell, you know, the perfume that I've laid out? Can you imagine this love that we will fill this evening until morning? And so it's an enticing picture of imagery that this person is drawing this young man into. And then she says, verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. So it's, you know, no one's going to find out, you know, we are safe. And he took a bag of money at full moon. He'll come he'll come back home so he won't come back till like after a month so is it it's safe to do this dangerous this wrong thing so verse 21 with much seductive speech she persuades him she wins him over and with her smooth talk she compels him all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver and a bird rushes into a snare into this trap he doesn't know that it will cost him his life so it's like an animal that's about to be killed you know simply because he's put himself in that situation and he's drawn by her words her seductive words so verse 24 now my sons listen to me be attentive to the words of my mouth let not your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray into her paths for many a victim she is laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng she's like this conqueror she, this, she's seduced many not just you many this army she's defeated you know she's just so powerful in her seduction and her house is the way to shale going down to the chambers of death so it's not just a kind of earthly loss you lose your reputation you lose your your money um, but it's leading to hell you know it's a kind of eternal uh, loss that you'll suffer because you go into this temporal sin so going down to the chambers of death yeah very very relevant uh, very very wise to have this warning up front 
to warn uh, such that when you encounter it, you go, aha, yeah, you know, my dad told me this, the Bible said this, that I'll encounter this. So you almost avoid completely because you know what's ahead. You know, it's death. It's no, no way that you will benefit from this kind of relationship. And again, it's talking about both that uh, fidelity in your marriage, that fidelity to God, but just wisdom. This is big sense, right? I mean, this is wise. You know that this is a good thing, a right thing, and this will benefit you. But oftentimes we forget. We act out our foolishness and we fall into this silly, silly trap until it's too late. The moment we realize that, why did I do this? Oh, so horrible. It's too late, you know, and there are just eternal consequences to such foolishness. Yeah, and that's Proverbs chapter 7. Um, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual uh, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And that's so loving. You know, you see someone who is caught in this trap, you know, again, you think of that situation that we saw in Proverbs, uh, that person falls into that sin, it's been entrapped. You don't just go, ha, 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 told you so. Didn't you listen to me when I warned you? But it says, if you are spiritual, you should restore in a gentle way, in a spiritually gentle manner, not go, aha, you know, I, 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 I was going to scold you. <laughs> I'm going to told you so but actually out of love. And this idea of you who are spiritual, and again, using the spirit of gentleness, it should remind us of chapter five, whereby we bear the fruits of the spirit. And it's not just talking about, you know, someone who's like a leader, although, yeah, you know, leaders, you know, you should be gentle and you should be looking out for your sheep, but also anyone who is a Christian who has grown in, you know, walking in step with the spirit. You start walking alongside your brothers, you start looking out for them. You start being that kind of brother who looks out for those who are a bit falling behind and falling into sin. You try to restore them. And again, gentleness is one of those fruits of the Spirit. It's just a byproduct of that. You love God. God causes you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And continuing verse 1, keep your watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So, you know, uh, you know, you're helping someone who's dealing with a temptation, you know, be careful, you know, you're not immune yourself. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, Paul has been condemning those trying to earn their way into salvation by doing the law. He says, that's not faith, that's not salvation, that's works. And he condemns that. But in a strange way, he says, you are able to fulfill that by trusting in Christ. You know, if you trust in Christ, and we've seen that spiritual relationship with Christ causes you to love your brother and sister in Christ, and therefore actually doing that fulfills this thing that those guys who are trying to obey all those laws and force all those laws, and they can't do that, but you can simply be out of love. It's a fruit that God has given you as a byproduct of trusting in Christ. And so you bear one another's burdens. You think of it as a weight, you know, uh, someone is carrying like a backpack. You know, oh, it's kind of heavy. He said, let me help you with that. You carry one strap together with them. So you, you're helping one another with their burdens. Verse 3, if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, nobody, he deceives himself. Don't think of yourself too highly to think, that's not my problem. 
Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So interesting, isn't it? Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Verse 5, you bear your own load. Um, I have to check this up, but from memory, I think uh, verse 5 is talking about that. Uh, it's talking about a larger load, you know, a larger burden that we have a responsibility uh, to be f faithful to God. And there is, it is, it is like a load, you know, the, we have to make sure that we walk with Christ in step. But the word for burden in verse two is a smaller load. It's like, you know, um, that we bear one another. And I, 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 I hope I'll check this up. I might be wrong. But I think in one hand, you know, make sure that you yourself walk with Christ, but at the same time, look out for your brothers that you're walking alongside with. And so sharing that burden, but being conscious of that you yourself don't fall into sin, that you're walking closely with God. Verse six, let the one who is taught the word share all things with the one who is teaching, who teaches. Um, and that's just a generous thing to respond to those who preach the gospel to us, uh, those who are leaders in churches, um, just to free them, free them uh, of the burden of having to earn a living or sometimes just um, blessing them in, in the same way that they've blessed us. Spiritually, we bless them materially. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for wh whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So a very, very um, helpful guide as to how we are to walk each step each day um, as a Christian. And you know, on the one hand, um, we, let me, let me just look at this again. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you'll also meet. Reap. I'm wondering, I'm looking at this with you for the first time. So why is it that we are deceiving God? It's we're deceiving thinking that we can, that there won't be consequences, I guess, as if we can get away with something. Is that what he means by not being, not deceiving ourselves? As if God won't uh, recompense those who try to get away with, um, I guess, sin. Maybe that's what verse 8 means. One who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That means that means you're planting sin. It's almost like seeds. You're planting seeds of sin and then you grow. And then, and then when it grows in this plant, what you're reaping in terms of that harvest, that farming method is that you get these plants of corruption, you know, destruction. But if you sow seeds of the spirit, from that spirit, you'll reap eternal life. So I guess it's saying that every day you're almost planting something, you're almost like an investment. You're not just doing something, but you're planting something that will actually grow and grow and grow, and you're nurturing that. So you're either planting something that's just selfish, you know, you, um, that's destructive, that's sinful, and eventually it'll come back to bite you, 
Oftentimes we think sin is just that one-off thing, but actually sin grows and has its own fruit, I guess. But in the same way that the Spirit produces this fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I might have gotten it wrong, but I, I, something along those lines. And, you know, you have that fruit, and therefore you reap that fruit, you know, as you keep planting seeds, trying to be gentle, trying to be patient, trying to be, to, to lean on God's goodness and to be faithful and trustworthy. You know, that grows and grows and grows. And actually there is, what you reap at the end of the day is not just dividends, but eternal life, verse 8. And therefore, verse 9 says, don't grow weary. It can be tiring. Maybe he's acknowledging that. Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. That's a lot of farming analogies here. It's a lot of something you do now, but in time, in the future. Like the farmer, you, you plant now, you don't reap now, but in time you reap this reward. He says, in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And that's encouraging, you know, uh, especially if you have been you know, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, if you've been even something like reading your Bibles and praying and, you know, maybe investing in that relationship, trying to speak of Christ to that friend, it can seem like, oh, where's this leading to? It's so tiring. You know, nothing seems to be happening. But here's the Bible saying, don't give up. You know, keep going. Everything's an investment in due time, in God's time. There will be this reward, this harvest, this payback. So verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let's do good for everyone. So the moment it comes up, you know, make the most of that, you know, respond to that for everyone. And he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially amongst the people in your Bible study group in your church. That's what he's talking about. It, okay, so it's, that's why what I mean by, it's just so helpful because it's, recognizing different points in which how to live your life, whether it's a moment by moment, you know, as you have opportunities, just do good. Or you've been doing it for a long time, don't give up, don't give up, you know, keep going, keep going. And then he says, if you're doing something else that you're ashamed of, say, stop doing that because there are consequences. But if you trust in Christ, keep on doing that. And at the end of the day, you'll see that, you know, eternal life will almost make it worthwhile. Any sacrifices, any kind of... Um, uh, you know, frustration, you know, tiredness that comes from that. Yeah, this, these are investments that will pay off. Verse 11, see what, with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 13, very interesting. I, 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 that's very insightful. So here are people who are forcing you to be circumcised. You think of someone who's come to you in church and says, oh, I, you need to do da-da-da-da-da, you know, as a Christian. And they keep harping on that. And in this case, it's circumcision. Because it makes them look good, he says, that's why, in order, you know, those who are making a good showing in the flesh, verse 12, that means they look good trying to enforce that kind of rule or the kind of law on you. But Paul says, verse 13, actually, they themselves, they don't keep the rules. 
So it's it's very pharisaical and it's very hypocritical. And sometimes, you know, some of us might say, well, that's very familiar. <laughs> because I think familiar, actually, even in my own heart, sometimes when you feel as if you can't keep a particular rule, you can't live according to a certain way, and then you see someone not following that rule that you don't follow, you scold them. And somehow you look good scolding that person, but actually you don't believe in that rule, you don't follow that rule yourself. And there's some a lot of self-deception going there, but you can see how that works, how you can look good as that spiritual religious enforcer but actually you yourself you you have no interest in keeping those rules yourself and you're weighing other people down you yourself are being self-deceived but you know paul is able to see beyond that verse 14 but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ by which the world has been crucified to me and i to the world how does that work you know I won't boast in anything except the cross. That makes sense. You know, I'm not going to boast about my achievements, my degree, about this like Bible reading show. It means nothing. But when it comes to Jesus, comes to the cross, I will boast of that. I will tell everyone about it. I'll praise God for that. I'll make a big deal about that. Why? Because through the cross, two things happen. The world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. So the world... Wait, Jesus crucified, but now the world is crucified to me. And now I am crucified. So wait, Jesus being crucified, but now two other crucifixions have happened. So weird, right? But I think what happens is because Jesus has died, it means that now the world doesn't have that hold on me. It's, it, it's dead to me. You know, the world would say, oh, you know, come, come back to us and do these things you used to do and follow us and try to... So it has no effect. It's kind of like that Proverbs reading again, that seductive call to you know follow that way of living that you know is wrong but sometimes you can't help it it's pulling towards there but because jesus has died he's almost cut off that connection so it has no pull to you but at the same time i have been crucified to the world the world maybe hates me you know the world doesn't have any interest in me anymore i lose that kind of influence as well you know previously you know when i didn't know christ i didn't have this severed connection with the world i i used to be a big deal in the world maybe and i used to make a big deal about the world but now it's all about christ 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 and i i think i think that that makes sense right you know christ dying means i die to the world the world dies to me verse 15 for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation and as for all who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I think verses 15 and 16 are connected. It's Verse 15 talks about the new creation, and verse 16 talks about the Israel of God. You know, the new creation is talking about heaven. It's talking about the new people of heaven. Why is he talking about Israel, <laughs> which is the Old Testament people of God? Because I think he's merging the two. He's saying, you who are now in heaven are the true Israel. You who are now citizens of this new country, this new status together with God, you're sons and daughters of God, even though you're not Israel, Israelite, you're not Jewish, you're not circumcised. That's why he says circumcision doesn't count for anything or even uncircumcision, but actually your, your citizenship here is not your citizenship here because the Israel was pointing always to this Israel. And it's remarkable for Paul to speak 
to look eye to eyeball to eyeball to these Gentile, non-Israelite people and say, you are Israel. The Old Testament talking about Abraham's father, he is your father. It's almost like saying to a Chinaman from Malaysia, say, you are Anglican, even though I'm not Anglican, I'm Presbyterian, I press buttons every day. But saying, you are, you are the true Anglican, you're the true Baptist, you're the true Christian because you follow Jesus Christ. It's not about having that membership role or whatever, but because you trust in Christ and therefore your true membership is written in this heavenly roster. It's that kind of um, heavenly thinking in terms of who you belong to where your status with is, is with God. It's not in some kind of rule book. Verse 17, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'll resist commenting on every single verse. Oh, wait, no, verse 17 is so interesting. Last, last one, last one. Verse 17, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Wow. Uh, I said, I said, you don't takau him. It's like, you know, imagine you're in a street alley and then you're trying to pick a fight with this boss. I said, oh, I'm going to fight you. You know, maybe you're a different street gang, so I'm going to fight you. And then the boss rolls up his sleeves and it shows you his scars. Oh, I had this f scar, you know, from this fight or this bullet wound, that kind of thing. It shows you, oh, to intimidate you. And here Paul pull, rolls up his sleeves. I says, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ. Don't mess with me. It says, and let no one cause me trouble. And here he is, he's, he's warning them, hey, don't pick a fight with someone you're going to lose with. But also instead of saying, you know, I'm an apostle, you know, uh, Jesus appointed me as an apostle, which he does in the beginning in Galatians because God gave him the gospel. But now he ends it and he talks about it in a different way. He says, I bear Jesus' scars. I mean, he's been through suffering for this gospel. So not just having this gospel, this Bible in the hand, but suffering for this, you know, paying the cost for having to preach the gospel. And that almost authenticates his ministry, his apostleship. And earlier on, um, uh, yeah, uh, do, 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 do. where does he say this? Um, somewhere, somewhere about them, you know, otherwise they would be, uh, do, do, do. I forgot, I forgot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought I saw something about those. Otherwise, they wouldn't be persecuted. Uh, uh, yeah, that verse twelve. You know, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So th those other people who are trying to force you to do all those rules, right? Verse twelve. They even they don't dare preach about Christ because they know they get into trouble. So in other words, Paul is saying, look at all the trouble I'm in because I'm preaching the gospel. But all those guys, they're willing to cause trouble for you, and they nitpick about things that are easy to get away with that don't get them into trouble but hey you know i get i get, and he's probably talking about all those tortures and those imprisonments those whip lashes on his back he says why because i'm preaching the gospel i won't shut up about jesus and i guess you know um what scars do you have um you don't have to like boast about in that sense but it says you know there will be scars you know, are you willing to preach the gospel in such a way that you get into trouble? You know, you can get into trouble for all kinds of things, but preaching the gospel will get you into a peculiar kind of trouble. And in verse 12, some people aren't willing to do that. They're willing to get into trouble for all the small things that gets them look, make them looking good. But the kind of things that will really get you 
scarred and persecuted and rejected by others is just keeping on, keeping on, preaching about Jesus and not giving up. And, you know, Paul does that and says, don't mess with me because I've been doing this all my life. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's Galatians. <laughs> a very bold letter, a very encouraging letter to say that, you know, we have this freedom. Uh, we don't have to turn to rules. We don't have to be enslaved by these kinds of silly, silly requirements that say that, you know, Jesus isn't enough. He is. He is. He's freed us. And just keep in step with that. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You will fulfill the law in a way that those rule keepers will never be able to do so. And know that, you know, Paul keeps preaching this to you at his own personal cost. You know, he bears these marks so that we will have this freedom, this certainty, this assurance in the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what it's not. It's not a series of rules and things that we have to do to gain your favor, but thank you that's all about Jesus. He has paid the price, the entry price, that we are now, even right now, accepted in love. We are even right now not having to do anything at all except to trust that he has done it all. And so we give you praise. We thank you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you did this for us. Help us, Lord, to speak of this truth to others, to hold on to it, and to love others whom you have loved because of this truth. You know, love them and help them with their burdens because this is a tough life to live. You know, to keep holding on to live, we are tempted in different ways. And Lord, it, it's painful as well, you know, to speak of the gospel. But help us to do this because it is freedom. This is true life to live this life in Christ. We've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to us because you were crucified on the cross for our sins. So we thank you. We praise you. We pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.